We started last week in this sermon series. In this sermon series, we talked, uh, started last week on family matters, talking about the relationships and talking about importance of marriage. Scott did an amazing job last week, don't you think? Scott did a great, great job. I got to be honest with you, I was watching the service from last week, this past week. I was watching Scott, and I got I got a little discouraged, to be honest with you, because I'm sitting there thinking, like, Scott is an insanely talented singer. And then he gets up here and preaches and does a great job. And then I think of Charles, who's an insanely talented singer, and he gets up here and preaches God's Word. And it's like, I have no talent. <laughs> None at all. So I just, you know, aren't you grateful for the talent that we have around here, people who are willing to be used to God? And, but today, got to be honest with you, you're just stuck with me, okay? So we're going to continue in our series, Family Matters, and we're going to talk about marriage today. And as we begin to talk about marriage, what I want to tell you like right up front is the title of the sermon is A Marriage Made in Heaven. But I got to start like today with giving you some really bad news because probably everybody in this room had this vision of, this idea of, this dream of, like, man, I want a marriage made in heaven. I want the perfect marriage. Here, I want to just give you some, some news today. A marriage made in heaven in 2022 is impossible. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. <laughs> It's, it's, it's impossible, and it's impossible because God's plan for marriage, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, was just simply this, is that God created man and woman, male and female. He created them in perfection. He put them into the Garden of Eden, which was perfection. He put them into a sinless place, which was perfection, and God plan, God's plan was for them to become together as one. Scott read that passage last week from the book of Genesis. That was God's intention. That was God's plan, and man messed it up. And the Bible tells us that because man messed it up, because sin entered into the world, then death entered into the world, and imperfection entered into the world, and brokenness entered into the world, and selfishness entered into the world. And all of the things that we experience and that we deal with in relationship to marriage entered into the world. Why? Because of sin. And so today, like full disclosure, a perfect marriage is impossible. But the good news is this, is that we can have something that is just that close if we'll follow God's plan. And so that's today what we're going to talk about. We go to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read seven verses today, and then we're going to spend a few moments kind of walking through. And again, again, clearly, there's no way that we can really do justice to all of these topics and all of these issues with regards to marriage in the time that we have together today. But... We're going to give you kind of some, some clear statements and some clear pictures, understanding of what God's Word says. And then, I trust you, you may go back and, and read God's Word, study God's Word, pray about what God wants you to do in relationship to what we talk about. So, again, let's go back. First Peter chapter 3, let's begin with verse 1. Verse 1 says this, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles or expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. 
You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Some of the men in the room right now are elbowing their wives like, see, I told you, you're supposed to submit. Call me master. (laughs) Guys, let me continue reading. Husbands, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your, you ought to underline this, guys. I know your your wives will if you don't. Your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, Today what we want to do is just kind of walk through this passage and kind of spend a little bit of time, if we could, kind of figuring out, like, what does God intend for us to do with relationship, uh, with relation to marriage, okay? Now, the first thing we've got to understand is this. We can need to honor the spiritual roles that God has intended. The spiritual roles that God has intended for men and women within the confines of marriage. Now, I will start with this simple statement. And I just want to say this, and I know I'll get some letters, and I know I'll get some people mad, I know I'll tick some people off, I get it, I understand it, don't care. God's intention for marriage is simply this, one man, one woman, one lifetime, period. And let me further accentuate what I just said is one biological male and one biological female for one lifetime. That is what God's intention is for marriage. That's what He intended. God made the male and female, and the male shall leave his wife, uh, leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's what God intended. Now, we live in a world today where they have messed everything up. I was riding into church this morning about 5.55, 6 o'clock. I was listening to the radio, and there was a story on the news this morning about a man somewhere. I didn't pick up where, and I'm glad I didn't because I was hoping he wasn't in America, but still, as I was driving in, and it was talking about this man who had just married a hologram. Do you know what a hologram is? It's not real. It's this box that someone has actually built. Like, there's a scientist, there's a a mechanic, Dr. Horstman, there's a person out there who came up with the plan of building this electronic device that will uh, illuminate a hologram, and it's called a pictosexual, and they buy it, and this guy married it. He's insane. I heard another story this week of a guy who has nine wives, not nine lives like a cat, nine wives. We live in a culture today where marriage has been redefined to whatever we want it to be. We've all seen the stories, the insane stories of people who've married their car, right? People who have married like, you know, their houses and different things and all these weird, you know, Discovery Channel type uh, biographies that are, you know, they're done for the, the shock value. But let me just tell you something. What is shock value today will be next year's normal. Because I can take you back a few years and I can tell you there was a time back there when people believed that marriage was between a man and a woman and nothing else. And yet here we are today with all of these other things that are coming into being, polyamorous relationships where there's a man and a woman and another woman and another woman or, you know, one, one, two men and then women and all these different groups and all the, and whatever marriage, let me just tell you something, that is not God's intention. And everything that takes us outside of God's intention for marriage is a plan by Satan to destroy what God has created as perfect. That is what we are experiencing in today's culture. So, we need to honor spiritual roles. Let's go back to this passage, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to go back here and give you people time at home to write letters. 
Second part of verse 1 and verse 2 that I read a moment ago. Wives must accept, accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Verse 5, it says, This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Now, I know that in today's culture, some people are like, they, 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 they stay away from that statement because they wait a minute, are you saying that women are supposed supposed to submit to their husbands? Are you saying that women are less than the value? They're, they're not as important. They're not as valuable as the men in a relationship? Absolutely not. And we'll talk about more about that in just a moment. Not talking about that at all. But what I am talking about is this. Guys who are sitting there thinking like, <laughs> I'm in charge. What I know is this, is that if the men in the church today would stand up and be the men that God intended for you to be, this would not be a topic of conversation or a problem at all in our culture, in our world. If men would live for God the way that they were intended to live for God, women would have no problem following your spiritual leadership. The reason this is a problem is men, you have shirked your responsibility. That's the reason that we face all of the consternation over something like this passage. That's why people get ticked off when you talk about, wait a minute, I've got to submit to my husband? That's not right. That's not fair. And I agree with you that it's not right and it's not fair when your husband is not honoring God and walking with God and serving God the way that he should. I get it. I understand that. So guys, it's time to man up. It's time for us to be the spiritual leaders that God intended for us to be. And so what this passage is talking about is this, is that in the relationship between a man and a woman within the marriage relationship, that man is supposed to be, intended to be, God ordained to be the pastor in that home. He's to be the one in that home that provides spiritual guidance and spiritual leadership to his wife and to his children. And when he does that, they will follow along, they will walk alongside of him, and they will honor him because he is honoring God. Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. The minute you stop putting God first is the moment everything gets thrown into disarray. And so we got to understand the spiritual roles. Yes. God did intend for the man to be the spiritual head of the household. Yes, that is God's intention. That's God's plan. That is not a chauvinistic statement. It's not a misogynistic statement. It's not something that, that puts women down at all. It's not something that uh, allows us to say that women are less than. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God, speaking to both Adam and Eve, male and female, said this, that you shall subdue the entire world and you will rule over it. In other words, God himself put them in equal status as ruling over this world. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, what did God say? God said that man and woman, male and female, husband and wife, that they should, they should submit to one another. And so God is not saying that women are less than. God is not saying that women are not as important as. What God is saying is that there are roles that people bring to the relationship. And men, your role is to be the spiritual head. And when you do not step up and lead in that responsibility and become all that God intended for you to be within the marriage relationship, then yes, your marriage is not going to be all that you intended for it to be. So men, lead well. Ladies, pray for your husbands if they're not doing it. Like, you don't get mad at them. You don't rebel. You don't sit there and say, well, you, you're not doing this. I'm not going to listen to the thing. You, that doesn't help. Like, pray with one another. Pray for one another. Because, as this passage just said, I'll read it again. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that your godly lives, ladies, will speak to them without any words. 
They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Ladies, there is no one on the face of the earth that can have a more impactful and important uh, relationship or connection to or influence over your husband than you. And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, sports stars have a bigger influence over my husband than I do. And, you know, this person, that person. And uh, I'm just telling you, no one can have a greater influence over your husband than the wife. So husbands and wives, you've got to know the role. Now, guys, let me read the second part of this passage. Verse 7, in the same way, husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Is there anybody here in the room that, like, your golden life is that your prayer will be hindered when you're praying to God? Anybody here like, like, I want my prayer to be hindered. Like, I want the time that I spend in prayer to be of no value and no worth whatsoever. I want God to literally turn his back on my prayer. Nobody would say that, right? And what God's word says is, guys, act as you should. Like, be the man. Be the kind of person that God intended for you to be so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, live for God, walk with God, serve God, lead your family to God, and as a result of that, like God is going to show up and do Ephesians 3.20 more than you could ever pray or ask or think or imagine. That's what God intends, the roles within marriage. So how do we understand then? We've got to honor the spiritual roles that God has, but then if we're honoring the spiritual roles, we also have to reject the cultural pressures. We have to reject the cultural pressure. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. Now, this is a statement that's written to the women, but we're going to get to this in a moment. It is applicable to all of us. And here's what it says. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Understand this. Every time that you allow the outside influences of the world to... Uh, to change or to dictate or to lead you in your actions today, what I can guarantee you're happen- is happening in your marriage is you're rejecting biblical truth and biblical authority and your marriage is heading for destruction. Every time that you allow outside influence to lead you within the marriage. So we must let God lead us in marriage. That's why this passage says, hey, don't worry about like beautiful clothes and hairdos and jewelry and all that kind of stuff. Now, let me just make it real clear, clear here. That does not mean that you don't actually have to like, you know, try to make yourself look nice. That's a good thing. That's an important thing. Guys and ladies, like do your hair, right? I mean, obviously we want to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with jewelry. Uh, I wish there was because Mother's Day come up, it would save me money. But there's nothing wrong with jewelry. I get it, right? But here's what it says. Do not let the things that the world says are important or of value, of more value than following God. Don't let that stuff take precedence over what really matters. Now remember, in the context of this passage, it was written back in a time when everything within the Roman Empire was just simply this, is you had to make yourself look like more than you really were. They would dress themselves in, in gold and silver, and they would have these massive hairdos. And we've all seen the, you know, kind of the Hollywood's depiction of what happened back in Roman times. Like, they would try to make themselves look like, like every one of them looked like, you know, uh, you know, the queen walking in the room or the king walking in the room. They had to dress and wear all this stuff that was so, you know, awesome and so incredible. Why? Because they were trying to keep up with the world. And so that's what this passage is talking about. Verse 5 is like, don't let that stuff, verse 4, don't let that stuff influence you. 
Don't make that all that you're worried about. And we're going to get to some more things in a few moments that we allow the world to influence our marriage. But what it's saying is like, focus on what really matters. What really matters? Following God. Putting Christ first in your relationship. Every wedding that I have the opportunity of conducting, every single one of them, I always say this. Regardless of what your dream is for your marriage, regardless of what you thought about when you were a little boy or a little girl or what you wanted your life to look like, you know, whatever the picket fence idea uh, of what you wanted life to be like, here's what I know. That if you will seek first God's kingdom, if you will put him first in your marriage, that he is the most important thing in your relationship, I promise you this, that no matter what you dreamed of, God's going to do so much more. But the minute that God takes a, a back seat, the moment that God is not the most important thing in your relationship is the moment you begin to see things fall apart. And that is a guarantee. Like I can promise, I, can, I will sign a letter telling you that. Like I, it is that true that every time that you let God take a backseat in your marriage, I promise you this, your marriage is in trouble. And so we have to reject the cultural pressure that's out there. Now, if we have to reject the cultural pressure, well, another thing we have to do is understand, well, if we have to reject it, then what do we do? Here's what we do. We follow Christ's example. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and kind of roll back a few verses in 1 Peter chapter 2 because there's a statement that's given here about the life of Christ. And here's what it says. He, talking about Jesus, he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He uh, personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Now go back. This is like a perfect outline of like what we're supposed to do, how we're to live. So it says here, Christ never sinned. Now, let's be honest, there's not a person in this room that can pull that off. We can't do that. We can't live a sinless life. But here's what we can do. We can make sure that in everything we do, we're pursuing holiness, that we're trying to be holy because God is holy. Like we can try to do the right thing every single day. And when we mess up, man, we get on our knees before God, 1 John 1, 9. God, forgive me of my sins. God, I'm sorry. You know, please forgive me. Don't help me never to do this again. Like understand, like pursuing holiness is what this is talking about. So it says he never sinned. The second thing, nor ever deceived anyone. If there is deceit in your marriage, if you are not being honest with your spouse, take my word for it, take God's word for it, I promise you this, your marriage is not going to be all that you want it to be. In fact, I would go on to say that if you're being dishonest with your spouse in your marriage, your marriage is doomed. Your marriage is never going to be what it could be. Another example of what Jesus gave us, he did not retaliate when he's insulted. In other words, he didn't have to have the last word. There's a lot of people in this room that have to have the last word in every argument. Like, he just keeps on going and going and going and going. Why? Because you've got to have the last word. There are some arms going now. There are some people, that's you, that's you. Yeah, you have to have the last word. Hey, what did Jesus do? He never retaliated, retaliated to anyone. It went on to say, nor did he threaten revenge when he suffered. You know what that is? Forgiveness. It goes on to tell us that like, he took our sins upon his life and his body, and he nailed them to the cross for us. He gave us absolute forgiveness for whatever that we've gone through. So what does that tell us? Hey, maybe we should try to live that same way. Maybe we should try to live the exact way that Christ did. And so we have to make sure, honoring the spiritual roles, we have to recognize that we have to reject cultural pressure. We have to make sure that we follow Christ's examples. But then we also have to be wise, spending time in God's Word, to recognize 
the enemy. And when I say recognize the enemy, yes, I'm talking about Satan. He is the enemy. But I want you to recognize the tools of the enemy, the warfare that he uses, the weapons that he brings to the table to destroy your marriage. And make no mistake, John chapter 10, verse 10 tells us this, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. The moment you say, I do, it's game on for Satan because he's after your marriage. The moment you say, I do, he is on the job trying to take you down. So we have to recognize the enemy. So what are the enemy? Just a couple things. Like first one's lust. Like this is obvious, right? Like we live in a culture today where literally at a second's notice, you could be looking at pornography, whether on your phone or your computer or a television screen or computer screen or, or, or magazines or whatever. Like in an instant, you could be taking yourself out of being faithful to your wife. And by the way, guys and ladies, because today... Statistics tell us it's not just a male, male problem. It's like a male and a female problem. Understand this. Every time that you are looking at pornography, you are being unfaithful to your spouse. Every time. You say, well, I'm not really hurting anybody. Oh, yes, you are. You're hurting yourself and you're hurting your spouse. Jesus said, if you look at another person with lust in your eyes, then you've committed adultery already. So don't tell me that no, looking at pornography doesn't matter. It absolutely does. So understand the enemy. Satan is using pornography. He is using like all of the things that are in our culture today that are, that are so wrong and, and so ungodly. He's using all of that to trip you up, to destroy you. That's what he's doing. So turn that stuff off. Don't watch it. Don't look at it. Don't long for it. Don't find. Don't try to find it. Don't click on it. When you see it, get away from it. Ask God for forgiveness and move on because pornography will destroy marriages and it is nothing more than a tool of Satan. It is not to be celebrated. It is not something to laugh about. It's not something to joke about. It is something to grieve over because I can tell you and I can show you marriages today that have been destroyed because of it. Walk away. Lust is a destructive force in our world today. A couple others, competition. You are not competing with your spouse. And when I talk about competition, it's not the idea, it's basically this is the idea that it's all about me. Like competing for honor, competing for, you know, I want more, I, I want what I want, it's all about me, I want my needs met, I want my, you know, my desires met. Like it's all about me. You are not in competition. You are, we read it a moment ago, equal partners in your relationship with your spouse. So competition will destroy. So what's another one? Anger, arrogance. Arrogance and anger. And by the way, this all lines up with 1 John chapter 2, right? And you know what 1 John chapter 2 says? It says this, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, right? So those three things, it lines up perfectly. Arrogance, pride. We know scriptures tell us when pride comes, what happens, right? Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Like we know that's true right? So arrogance will always destroy a marriage. Anger. Man, get the anger problems fixed. Anger will never lead you to the right kind of relationship and the right kind of marriage. I promise you, it's going to destroy it. Like, quit getting mad about everything. Who wants to be mad all the time? Now, I understand there are times that you do get angry. I've been married 29 years, over 29 years, and I know there are times that, like, man, things wear on you. I mean, I, I love my wife, but there are times it's like, I get it. 
But I also know that in those 29 plus years, there have been times that she's been like, like even more so. I get it. I understand. My dad always said this. He said, you know what? My wife and I talking about my mom. We've been married for, you know, whatever it was, 40 years. And divorce has never been an option. He said murder a few times, but never, never divorce. Like, I get it. I understand. But man, always recognize that according to God's plan, it tells us, like, we don't retaliate. We don't get revenge. What do we do? Man, we just seek resolution and reconciliation and forgiveness, and, and we seek that out because that's what changes the marriage into what God wants it to be. Like, anger and arrogance will always destroy. Here's another one, lack of forgiveness. Lack of forgiveness. We read about that a moment ago, what Jesus did for us on the cross. Like, if you're not willing to forgive within your marriage, I'm just telling you right now, you might as well go ahead and call a lawyer. Because at some point down the road, like divorce and separate, like it's going to happen if you're not willing to forgive. Because in a marriage, one thing I can guarantee you about a marriage is there always will be times in your marriage where you need forgiveness or where you have to give forgiveness. If you have a marriage where you've never had to forgive or you've never needed to be forgiven in your marriage, here's what I know. You don't really have a marriage. Because I'm telling you, every single one of them, we're, 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 we're human. We're faulted. We're broken, right? And there's going to be time. So figure out how forgiveness can play a part in that relationship. Like, make sure that's God's plan. Yes, that husband's going to mess up a thousand times. Yes, that wife is going to mess up a thousand, no, 999 times. We'll make it a little uneven here. Yes, they're going to mess up. Yes, you bet. Absolutely. And yes, it's going to be tough. And yes, they're not always going to be perfect. So learn to forgive. Because what that will provide to you is greater joy than you ever could thought possible within a marriage. So understand, recognize the enemies. So then just quickly, lastly, since I'm right now 11 minutes over, but that's okay because they're not going to turn my mic off. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> We've got to implement the remedy. Scott talked about it last week, and I'll say it again here today. Fix it now. Just start right now. Like whatever it is, whatever's been broken, whatever you've messed up, whatever your spouse has messed up, like whatever tragedies that you guys have walked through, like I get it. But make the determination together today on your knees before God, we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. Do the hard work. Like, make sure you take that on and figure out, like, this is what we've got to do in order to make sure, because it's never too late to do the right thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 tells us, like, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and the world is watching you, and understand this, the world is watching and wanting you to fail as a follower of Christ. So because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, understand that lay aside every weight, lay aside every anger, lay aside every you know, moment of arrogance. Lay aside every moment of, of arrogance and anger. Lay aside every issue. Lay aside every, you know, problem that it's always got to be about. Lay aside the, the faults that you see in your spouse. Like, lay that stuff aside and run the race that God has for you. And that's how we will get as close to possible as we can to a marriage that's made in heaven. Doing it God's way not the way of the world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that in the midst of brokenness and the midst of evil,
God, that you've given us a clear picture of what it means to do the right thing. God, help us to do it. God, I, I recognize and I realize, God, you can't force us to do the right thing. So God, I pray that today, humbly, all of us in this room, those watching right now, like we will submit to you and your authority today and just simply say, God, we commit today. We're gonna live by your word. We're gonna do the right thing. There are some marriages today in this room, God, I know that you wanna bring healing and restoration to. And God, in a moment when this altar is open, God, I pray that you will bring couples to this, to this stage, to this altar, that they will kneel here and they'll just simply say, we're going to fix it right now. We're going to do it right. God, I know there are some couple in this room today that are not married yet, but they're engaged, or maybe they're heading towards engagement, and they're just going to make the determination, the decision today. Today, God, we commit. We're going to do this thing right from the get-go. God, I pray that you would speak truth into their lives. And God, if there's someone here today that has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, they've never made that decision to, to believe that Jesus is your son, that he died, that he rose again, turning from, uh, Lord, the evil and the sin of this world and turning towards you, God, accepting you. God, I pray right now, Lord, they would believe that Jesus is your son who died and rose again, and today they will accept Christ as their Savior. And God will give you the praise for it. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand. Our team is going to be gathered here at the front. We're going to sing through that song, You Reign Above It All. And guys, let me just make sure this rule is clear here. When we sing those words, You Reign Above It All, we're actually saying, God, You reign above our marriages. God, You reign above our families. God, You reign above my faults. God, You reign above my arrogance and my anger. God, You reign above all my shortcomings. God, You reign above all the things that I struggle with. God, You reign above it all. And today, let's just all come together and submit to the authority of God in our lives. The altar's open, couples, families, engaged couples, married couples, couples that are split that need to come here today and just say, God, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna work on this, we're gonna fix this together today. We're gonna start this process. If you wanna come and meet Christ today, our team is here, we'd love to talk with you. Let's stand together and let's sing. You reign above it all, you reign above it all. Over the universe and over every heart, there is no higher Jesus, you reign above it all. So let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher In a moment, we're going to walk out of here. The altar's going to remain open. Man, I, if, I'm telling you, if you're here today and your marriage is in trouble, our team is here. Tom Friedis, Tom, raise your hand right over here. Tom is here. It, it probably, and I, I know I'm biased, but probably one of the, the greatest marriage counselors, counselors that, that like there is anywhere is right here. There are others here. Man, we'd love to talk with you. Because here's the deal. Every time a marriage is healed and restored by the hand of God, that's a victory in heaven. And that's what the church needs to celebrate. I'm tired of the church simply accepting the breakdown of marriage. It's time for the church to stand up and to advocate for the rescue of marriage. And that's what we need to do.
And so, if you want to come down, man, we'd love to talk with you. Our team is going to be here. Next week, we're going to talk about parenting and how to lead within your home and what the role of leadership is within your home. John Maxwell is going to be with us next week uh, talking through uh, some of those key components. The following week, uh, we're going to have our student ministry staff is going to be up here. We're going to be talking about like discipleship within the home. And so Jeremy and Cody and Derek and others, we're going to be up here and we're going to talk together about what that looks like. Like all of this has to do with the fact God brought us together. So let's make sure we're going to do our best to keep it together. God bless you and have a great week. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life, just ask him to save you today. If you would like to talk further about that and what God has done in the giving of his son Jesus, we'd love to chat with you. I would encourage you to email us at the address listed on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you and help you begin this brand new journey with Jesus Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with this amazing message of God's love.